Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 69. Well, hello and welcome back to the show, my beautiful, beautiful friends. I hope that you're enjoying the month of November and all of the holiday fun and celebrations that have kicked into high gear. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with this time of year. Don't get me wrong. I love the holidays and the beauty of the season and the community and the collective care that the holidays brings out in people. But, and also, as an introvert, I need a lot of energy to socialize so much. So it's definitely a love-hate relationship that I have with the holidays, which reminds me, energy. That was the inspiration for a brand new quiz that I just created for all of you called the Energy Fix Quiz, which gives you your energy type along with personalized recommendations from me for your energy fix to boost your energy and support your health. It takes just three to four minutes and you can find it at avantikumarsingh.com backslash quiz. It's also linked in the show notes for you. You know, we've gotten so much great feedback on this quiz. I get messages through Instagram and my website from people every single day telling me how spot on the quiz results are and how helpful the personalized recommendations are. I hope that you'll take it and also share it with your friends and family. Okay, so back to today's episode. Let's continue with our exploration of connection to others as medicine through gathering. And I have to tell you, my guest, Kevin Bame, is an expert in the art of gathering and a visionary in the field of hospitality. Kevin is a CEO and co-founder of the Boca Restaurant Group. He's opened over 30 restaurants in the last 27 years, including the private wellness club Beyond, and in 2019, won the James Beard Award for Outstanding Restauranter. But that's not all. Kevin's group also has 16 James Beard finalist nominations, two food and wine best new chefs, nine consecutive Michelin stars for Boca, six Boca group restaurants in the Chicago Tribune's top 50 list, and an Iron Chef designation for Stephanie Izzard of Girl in the Goat fame, a Boca restaurant. Kevin has also been a keynote speaker for the National Restaurant Show, Miami Food and Wine, New York City Wine and Food Festival, the Illinois Restaurant Association, and Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. He's also a contributing writer for Fast Company and is currently writing his first book. Yep, I told you, he's definitely an expert in the art of gathering and what I would call enlightened hospitality. In our conversation, we dive into his start in the restaurant business and why entertaining was something he wanted to do even as a child. We talk about why gathering with others matters and what creates a meaningful experience when gathering. Kevin also shares what he's learned about the power of connection when we gather around a table and why gathering is healing. I learned so much in this really open and honest conversation with Kevin, and I know that you will too. 
I'm so happy to share my conversation with Kevin Bame about the art of gathering and the healing medicine of connection to others. Kevin, it is so great to be with you on the podcast. I'm so glad that you could do this with me. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for joining me. You know, I have been looking forward to talking to you because you are literally one of the largest restaurateurs here in Chicago and New York and L.A. As a co-founder of the Boca Restaurant Group, you have like 30 restaurants, I think. Now, All right. Maybe more. I've, I've served a lot of people dinner in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, like 30 <laughs> restaurants over 27 years. I tried to figure it out the other day. I think mm-hmm. that I've served 12 million people dinner. Oh my goodness. So like you are the person to talk to about this whole idea of connection with others through gathering. And you know, you now have Beyond, which is a private wellness club where I'm the director of Ayurveda. That's how we met. You're a James Beard winning restaurateur. And, you know, you are a master of creating spaces for gathering and experiences for gathering. I've been at many of your events in the past year at Beyond, and you're masterful at this. It's it's a gift. You're more than that. I really mean that. And so, you know, before we get into all things about gathering, I'm really curious, why restaurants? I mean, restaurants, it's a hard, hard business. Why were you pulled to that? Let's start there. You know, it's a really interesting question. I've done a lot of thinking about it over the years. My my parents specifically did not entertain and did not gather. We were I grew up in Springfield, Illinois, and really no one came to our house. And I think that's one of the things. I was a very social person who was born to very shy parents. Hmm. And so this idea of kind of throwing a party and a bunch of people coming every night and then making a mess and me cleaning it up and then doing it again the next day. That really appealed to me. That seemed like, wow, that seems like a lot of fun. Um, and what's interesting is I told my parents at 10 years old that I wanted to own my own restaurant. They had nothing to do in the restaurant business. Springfield, Illinois was kind of a veritable wasteland of great food. <laughs> and I still wanted to do it. I went to college. I was going to study law um, just because I thought that sounded respectable. And, you know, I had one of my housemates um, became kind of a legendary guy. He, uh, there's 549 people in the world who have been to space. Um, okay. He is an, he's an astronaut. He's had two space missions. He, he was the uh, captain, the commander of the SpaceX mission that, w- that went recently. And one of my other housemates one day was questioning me about whether I want to be a lawyer or not. He's like, Kevin, you don't really want to be a lawyer, do you? And I said, what I really want to do is, is own my own restaurant or have my own bar. And he goes, well, why don't you do that? I go, I don't know. It just doesn't seem really realistic for you know, a guy from Springfield, Illinois, who has no money, who knows nobody in the business. And he goes, Kevin, Mike thinks he's going to be an astronaut. <laughs> and I was like... Touche. Maybe, hey, wait a second. Maybe it is. Maybe I could do that. And so originally, my idea was not very sophisticated. I liked the idea of putting a space together that people felt comfortable in and me being able to entertain them in that space. Mm -hmm. And that very simple idea is what led to me dropping out of college and going to work at a restaurant and kind of pursue this dream of doing exactly what I ended up doing. Okay, so so much to ask you about. 
that's incredible. And the fact that you have a housemate that is an astronaut, I mean, I, that's amazing. Well, another one of my housemates was Dave Eggers, okay. who, who, you know, is this incredible author. Yeah. And he might even have been the guy that asked me that question. Amazing. So being surrounded by Mike Hopkins, this incredible astronaut, and Dave Eggers at a very early age, just being around guys that were that ambitious and that intentional about what they wanted to do, it's contagious behavior. It is. Absolutely. And in those formative years, when you're around people who are willing to dream and go after those dreams, even though they don't know what the hell they're doing, that's infectious. It's pretty amazing. And what a stroke of luck that you ended up with them, right? Total stroke of luck. That intersection of bravado and ignorance can be very powerful. Um, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I was like, well, maybe I can just go and work double shifts and save everything I make off one job and live off of the other. Eventually I'll have enough money to open a restaurant. That was my thing. Right. Kind of what happened. Yeah, no. So that's incredible. My question to you. So that's so interesting that you can say that, you know, your parents were very shy. They didn't host a lot yet. You decided at the age of 10 that you're going to host. I mean, it's beyond just being social. All of us are social creatures, right? Many of us are more social than others. I have a husband who's a total extrovert. You know him. And I'm more of an introvert in many ways. But what leads someone to then say, I'm going to go and start hosting parties. I'm going to start hosting people, as you said, serve dinner to everyone night after night. When you come from an upbringing where that wasn't modeled in your family. Well, you know, I think I've done a lot of work on myself and I've looked, at, I've looked under the hood of that mm -hmm. <laughs> a bit in recent years. And to me, too, it was more about really receiving love or more explicit love. You know, my parents also were, were very quiet. People held their cards very close to their chest. Um, you know, I had a very... I had an odd childhood. And, um, and so I was looking for like positive feedback from people. And so I just, I felt like even though it was maybe superficial that you could create spaces where, you know, if people loved it, they would tell you about it. And I saw this, you know, kind of in TV shows, you know, we had very little money, but I would watch like, you know, uh, you know, Rick on Magnum PI who had a bar and Jack Tripper was a chef on three's company. And, I would watch Alexis Carrington on Dynasty eat caviar. And it was all these little things that I was like yeah. fascinated by whatever was happening in that world. I remember reading a story about Truman Capote's black and white party um, when I was a teenager and just being fascinated by, you know, there's Sinatra and Mia Farrow going there. And I just, I, I wanted to be that guy who had a place that was so interesting and was serving such delicious things and had such great music and such a great vibe that people wanted to go to it. And so I was, I, I had this kind of obsession with studio 54 and I, I loved reading about like, you know, famous parties and I don't know why that resonated with me. It just did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting that, it goes back to this human need for for love, for connection, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, a really great way to, to think about it. And so I guess my next question is, why does gathering with people matter? 
why do you think that matters so much to someone like you, to someone like me, to these people who went to Studio 54, that it's, you know, put into movies and TV shows? Why does it matter so much to us? Listen, human connection does so many things. You know, I like, um, you know, the best way to judge ourselves is by the quality of people who are attracted to hang out with us, right? If somebody that you hold in a really high regard is your friend, that's the best way to judge ourselves, right? Not by material goods, but by who responds to the things that we say. So we're all performers in a way. We're storytellers. We, we have a sense of humor. We have a style. We have a joke. And so I think everybody sees images of people that they want to be like, mostly you know, on screens. When I was young, that that was the movie screen and the TV screen. And then you wanted to go and take your own personality for a spin. <laughs> and maybe and maybe that personality was little shades of all these people that we saw on a screen. And the only way you do that is when you connect with people. So not only are you able to judge yourself, but you're also able to, um, you know, empathize with other people and tell your stories and feel a connection because other people have the same stories as you do and you feel feel less strange in this world, you know? So, I mean, human connection is really everything. Um, I heard a great quote the other day. What was it? It was, one thing we can count on is that everyone is going to do what's in their best interest, but what you look for in other people is people whose best interest is our best interest. So I think it's also this search you know, when we're going out and we're together, we're gathering is finding people who respond to you enough that you think that maybe our best interest is their best interest. And that's when you build a community. Yeah. So that's like mic drop, just thinking about that. But what it's bringing up for me is this idea of when you're looking for people to connect with and gather with, you're also looking for, in a way, a reflection of who you are but also who you aspire to be, perhaps. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The great dinner party is not made up of a bunch of people exactly like you. It's made up of people that, that inspire you and bend you as a human being. Like I had a friend to me say the other day, he's like, he's like Kevin, I'm no longer hanging out with people that aren't working on themselves. Mm. <laughs> and 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 when I throw dinner parties and I throw dinner parties in my home, I'm looking for those kind of people who are still working on themselves that I aspire to be, that I want to bend to be more like, that are going to tell me about books that I haven't read or movies that I haven't seen or songs that I've never listened to before. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Is we, we want to we see you know, the different shades of the world when we hang out with people. Not just people that think like us, because, you know, listen, Springfield, Illinois, God bless it. It's where I grew up, and there's a lot of great people from there. But it was a very narrow thread of how people felt about the world. You know, it was a little narrow-minded, and it was a little cards close to your chest. And I just coming out of the womb was not that way. I wanted to talk about the way that I felt, and I was emotional, and I was all these things, and I was just like, maybe this is not my place. (laughs) (laughs) I bet there's got to be more people like me out there. Right. Thank thank God there was. Right. So that brings up a really interesting question, because, you know, so many times when you look at these, like, celebrity parties or these big events, it is a lot of people 
gathering for maybe superficial reasons, right? And so like the contrast of that versus what you're talking about. And I think they each have a place, right? Yeah, you can gather for superficial reasons too. That's okay. Yeah. It's like I, having candy, right? right. <laughs> it's like eating candy. Yeah, maybe not necessarily good for you, but it'll, you know, yeah. it'll taste good for a little while. Right. That gets to the question of like, what do you think are the most important components of a gathering? In your opinion, what makes a great gathering? I mean, you are a master of this. So like, Tell us what that is, do you think? Well, you want people to be the, their best selves within the space. So the more that you can create comfort within the space, the better. And, you know, uh, music, lighting, and temperature are things that people don't think of maybe enough. And, and you know, music's a lot of things. It is, it's the, it's the tone it's the volume, it's the journey of the music, it's is it taking you on a ride, is how is it making you feel? Um, you know, you walk into a room with dead silence as opposed to walking into a room that 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 you know, that you know, Bill Withers is playing Lovely Day. You're going to have two totally different experiences based on when you walk into that room. Um and then uh as a host of those kind of gatherings, as people are walking into the room, most people, when they're at the front of the room, they, they quickly look to find comfort. They look to see, who do I know in this room and where can I navigate to? Some of those people are like, get me a drink quickly so I can feel more comfortable. Or get me to John and Sheila because I know John and Sheila and I can establish my counterparts in here. And so as a host, Instantly going up to them and saying, Tom, Jennifer, it's so good to have you here today. And so instantly they feel comfortable and they can kind of glide into that space. So if you've set the music and they're instantly comfortable, you've taken their coat or it's the right temperature, the right music's on, they're feeling good about it. You've offered them a drink. They didn't have to go find one. And someone's gone up to them and given them a foundation of someone to be social with. Instantly, there's some comfort there, and then you're going to get the best out of them, which is what you want. You're inviting them to be there, to be themselves, and to offer something to it, right? Not just sit back and receive, but gatherings are about not just the host giving and everyone receiving, but everyone who comes giving a part of themselves to make the night better. The alchemy of all those people is what's going to make the best nights you've ever had before. Yeah, those are great tips of things to do. And it's interesting because I think some people do this more naturally and more intuitively than others. I can only speak to my husband. He is very particular about music and lighting. At our house, if we're having a gathering, that is the most important thing to him. He doesn't care what drinks there are, what food there is, lighting and music. And I'm focused on the food and the drinks. All those jobs are important. Exactly. <laughs> But here's the interesting thing that you said something I want to click into, which is the alchemy of the people there. So we're going into holiday season and everybody's, you know, gathering with families. It's not like you can pick who you decide to have over, right? I get it. But we do have a lot of gatherings where we are choosing people who we want to come over. How do you start to think about the alchemy of people who are gathering with you to create something that's a really meaningful experience? Because I feel like Coming out of the last two and a half years where we've had 
such strange connection <laughs> with people virtually limited, you know, outside all this stuff. Gathering with people has become even more important. And I think we many people are really realizing how important it is to be together physically in a space. What's that formula or what is it that you consider to create that alchemy? Well, I think if you invite too many of the same people, you could end up in small talk world, which is <laughs> yeah. no fun. Um, I, I remember throwing a Jeffersonian dinner at my house. For those of you who don't know, there's a few rules around a Jeffersonian dinner. You can only have one conversation at the table. And usually there's a group of questions that are, that are pre-selected um, that are going to be the dinner conversations that you're going to have at the table. The way I do it is, is everyone has a card in front of them and it's turned over. And I'll start the night with one question that we all answer. And as the dinner progresses, everybody turns their card over and answers their question. So I'm having this dinner party and I open the, the, the dinner party up with, who was the greatest teacher of your life? And the very first woman who answered was a woman who was in her late 80s. And her answer was, my three former husbands. Um, she had had three husbands who had all passed. Um, one in the war, one of cancer, and one of a heart attack. And she said, my first husband taught me how to love. He was the love of my life. He goes, my second husband taught me how to travel. We traveled the world. He was an adventurer. We did. We climbed mountains. We did water adventures together. And she goes, and my third husband, we shared a love of food together. We cooked together. We ate at the world's greatest restaurants. We ate at Michelin three-star restaurants around the world. She goes, between the three of them, I became a Renaissance person, a person of great love, of, of great travel, of great food and wine knowledge. Um, and it was such a beautiful answer and only an, an answer that only could have came from somebody who had had that much experience. And as I looked at the jigsaw that was this party around the table, it was this big group of beautiful people of all ages, races, creeds, <laughs> religions, denominations, what have you. It was a, it, we had done a, a pretty brilliant job. And I don't think it was with intention. I don't remember how we put that group together, but it, it, it taught me a big lesson, which was like, yeah, invite a bunch of different people to the table. That's where you're going to get the richest conversation. So it's like, you know, bringing up Studio 54 again, you know, Steve Rubell's like, used to say, you can't have too much of one type in here. They had to have that granny that disco danced <laughs> and Bianca Jagger on the horse yeah. and, you know, and Halston and all these people, he wanted a little bit of everything in the world. So, right. And so that, you know, actually goes to a really good point, which is as we're gathering with family, what are some ideas of like, how do you create those family close friends gatherings where there is some of this connection, because it can be so much more than just about the food or about the holiday that we're celebrating, right? It can be so much deeper. And I think so many of us, myself included, sort of shy away from that. We get so stuck in the busy of setting the table and getting the food out and making sure the presents are there or whatever it is, that that piece gets lost. You know, I mean, I, you and I have talked about uh, Priya Parker's work, you know, yeah. the art of gathering. And she talks about this, about this, about being 
intentional about when you're bringing people together. How do we do that with families? Well, you have to tee people up to be able to express themselves. Mm-hmm. And that takes creative thought before they get there. It's kind of like you have an entire family group coming and you call each of them and you say, I'm putting a playlist together. What are the five songs that you want to hear? And then when you, you know, putting something at the table that shows all the songs that each people chose from their playlist. Instantly, there's a conversation starter of, oh my gosh, you chose this song. I love this song too. That bridges together somebody who's 18 years old and 80 years old might have chosen the, the same song. So, I mean, I always like to be creative about the games that are played that, that everyone at the table can play. And it, and it, it allows people, it gives everybody a voice. You know, we all go to dinners where there's the person who's very outspoken, who dominates that conversation. Choose something that allows everybody to be able to talk at that table. That's why I think the Jeffersonian um, dinner is such a nice idea, because once it gets around to that person's question, because there's only one conversation allowed at the table and no side conversations, everyone has a stage at some point. And you can set those questions to be in the wheelhouse of each person. So you know that, you know, grandpa loves to talk about, you know, the 1948 Cleveland Indians. <laughs> you know, right. you can set the question for him. You can fix the room so everybody feels seen and heard and all those things. Yeah. So what you're saying is really being intentional about how you help move conversation and connection along, that you can be that connector for your family, for your group of friends, for the people that you invite over by thinking about it a little bit and and not getting stuck in the busy of the food and the drink and the, the table setting and all that stuff, which is important. Yeah. You are the Johnny Carson of your party. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you, uh, you know, you, you are setting the tone for the night and you are helping make the guest who's ever coming on that show, the star. So giving everybody an opportunity to be able to tell their stories. You know, we all love to listen to other people, but we also love people to listen to us. Um, And so it's, you know, and you can do this. It could be so subtle that no one even notices that all night you're like, oh my gosh, Tom, tell us about what you just did on that trip. Or like, you know, I heard you just got promoted at work. It's all that little stuff as a, as a host that starts conversation and makes people feel seen. You know, that's, you know, all these little tricks that people don't understand why they had such a great time at your party. They just did, you know, (laughs) it's like the secret, you know, when you're a good listener and you ask good questions, people come away. It's like, I don't know. Why do I like hanging out with that person so much? They just make me feel good. (laughs) You know, these little subtle tricks that you can do to, to make people feel like, you know, they were a part of the party. They weren't someone who was a, a passenger on the ship. They were helping They were helping steer it. They were helping drive it. They were really a part of it all. Okay, yeah. And so I have a question. I, I'm going to turn the table on you. What's the best gathering you've ever been to and why? Oh that God. wasn't your own, Kevin. That wasn't your own. Yeah, that's well, that's a really great question. Um I went to the 20th anniversary of a restaurant that means a lot to me. And I went to, I'll, I'll choose two because they're very, they're similar. And I went to the 150th anniversary 
of a restaurant in New Orleans. And they were both incredible for different reasons. Um, the Red Bar is my favorite atmosphere of any restaurant in the world. It's located in Grayton Beach, Florida. It's a building that had been a general store since the late, 18, late 1800s and is now an iconic restaurant down there. And uh, one of my best friends owns it. And it is just the most joyous place you've ever been to in your entire life. You know, on the 20th anniversary, the drummer for the band was James Brown's old drummer. Wow. And it's an incredible atmosphere. And the drinks are great. And Ollie, who is the host, is a six foot seven Belgian guy who is just full of so much love and energy and happiness and joy that it's infectious. And he makes people feel great. He's incredible at dropping compliments on people. And I just remember being there, and I had been there the opening night of that restaurant, and just feeling so much love the whole night. Just an incredible amount of love. And the 150th anniversary I went to of Commander's Palace, I remember it just being one of the greatest crowds of people I'd ever seen before, and some of the best people watching I'd ever seen before. And they took me to my table, and I'm sitting you know, next to uh, Emeril Lagasse on one side of me, who was a former chef at Commander's Palace, and the great Danny Meyer is sitting on one side of me, and Dominique Crenn, the great chef, is sitting across from me. And it was just like, it was a dream room of people that were fascinating and interesting, and, and it was so New Orleans. I mean, just like the Red Bar, filled with great music, filled with great libations and joy and happiness. And it was a true celebration of things. And I found myself just lost in the moment of it. No inner dialogue going off in my head. I was just in the party and in the moment. I don't have a single picture from while the party was going on because I was so in the party, which I love. I have a, I have a picture of me going in the room and I have a picture of me at the very end of the dinner. And I have nothing in between, which is a really good sign of a great party. Yeah. And so, you know, that's actually, and maybe that's different. Maybe it's similar. You tell me to what we were talking about, you know, when you have a smaller gathering, because it feels like that's different, but because it was the experience of the whole thing, of the food, of the wine, of the backdrop, you know, the whole atmosphere, and then the people milling about, like, I don't know, maybe you did have deep conversations, maybe not, but that's a different type of gathering than what we were talking about earlier. But in some way, they're both medicine. They're both healing for us as human beings. They are. Right? What do you think is the difference between those? Because those are two very different parties that you just described. You know, what you were saying was your favorite versus what we were talking about doing a Jeffersonian type style dinner or gathering at home. They, they are different. I think, you know, that big, boisterous, Commander's Palace Party was an event. It was boisterous and big and joyous. And I I don't I didn't have a lot of deep conversations there, but I had a lot of there was a lot of hilarity involved <laughs> to that party. Um where the Jeffersonian dinner, we waxed pretty poetic <laughs> about a lot of things. So I came out of both very happy but different feelings. I, I felt very warm coming out of the out of the Jeffersonian dinner, and the commander's party lingered with me. I couldn't go to sleep for two and a half hours afterwards. Both, as you said, 
great medicine. And I like both those kind of parties. Uh, you know, we need different medicine at different times in our life. I've had the great pleasure of being a lot of boisterous parties. I probably, at this point in my life, are more into the Jeffersonian parties. You know, I don't, I don't drink that often anymore. You know, I probably like a, uh, I just went a hundred days without a drink. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be the guy that drinks like six, eight times a year. So I just don't have as many, you know, big boisterous parties, but both can be really beautiful. I, I'm trying to live a curated life at this point. <laughs> so I don't need to walk into a party that's got a thousand people where I only know seven of them. And sometimes when you go to a party where you know all 200 people, it gets a little bit like a wedding where all you have is these stunted conversations with people and you feel like you can only spend a short snippet of amount of time with everybody. And at the end of the night, there's almost a frustration to it because you're like, did that just happen? What just happened? It feels like a car crash instead of a party. I had that happen recently when I went to an event. And sometimes now I'll find myself in an event where I know too many people and I'll drift off into the corner and I'll let everybody come to me. That way I can have extended conversations with them. Yep, I agree. I think that you've hit the nail on the head so much that different types of gatherings also serve us differently at different times in our life and different stages, right? You know, making an, a generalization, but when we're, you know, a little younger and, and we're in that time of life where we're meeting lots of new people, doing lots of new things that sometimes those big boisterous types of events are what we need to fuel us. That's, that's the medicine we need as a way to put ourselves out into the world. And as maybe in other stages of life that you and I are both in right now of curating our lives, of kind of, you know, we're kind of not in that, that place and sort of wanting to have these deeper connections and longer conversations with people. And so I think it's a really good point to sort of talk about is that there's no one right way to gather, but it's all about connection and there's medicine and healing in all of those different types of gatherings. That's right. Yeah. So I have a question for you about your restaurant world. So like, how do you create that type of space for gathering? Like you told, told us about some of the things that you think about when you're hosting something in your own home, but it's got to be very different in a restaurant. And you have 30 plus restaurants and a private wellness club, and they all have a different flavor. How do you figure out like what to do to make it a place that's popular? Because part of your success has been that you create these spaces that people want to keep coming back to. What's the formula, the magic in that, or the, the thought behind that? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's hard to blueprint. You know, we, you know, when, when Rob and I sit down, um, sometimes just us, sometimes with a chef and we start to um, put together a concept for a space, we're considering a lot of things, you know, we're considering hospitality style, what kind of food we're serving, what kind of building it in, what's the neighborhood, what's the space going to feel like. There's all these questions at the beginning, which become, you know, these core competencies of what we're going to do. And then how do we create all these layers within all those things? So I think that's probably part of the magic is making sure that there's a lot of layers to everything that we do um, because people can get so bored so quickly these days. So 
we, if you look at, there's a lot of detail in a lot of our spaces. We're, we're very lucky and I'm grateful that we get to work with like amazing designers and our teams are these really great hospitality professionals. You know, great ideas alone without people to execute them mean nothing. So the, the, the sitting in that room and, and deciding when we did Momotaro, for instance, you know, we had a building and we're like, what do we want this building to feel like? You know, what are these historical narratives that we're going to bring all the design back to? So it, it feels uh, like something is truly original. And that's something that Abrico does when we work with them, is they try to always bring the design back to three historical narratives that everything has to feed back to. So it doesn't look like they're repeating the same thing that they did before. And then sticking to an idea of who you want to be within the space, not letting people dictate what the place is going to be, um, which you can very easily do. You have to decide very early on, here's our clear vision of who we are and what we want the place to look like. And we believe in it. And we're going to stand by that all the way through. And it might take a second for us to find our customer base, but we believe they are out there. So it's it's a lot of meetings to get to that place. And I think it's instinct-based. I think for Rob and I, it's always been instinct. We're like, okay, we found it. This is what we want to do. We want to have a Japanese fish program that's direct from Skiji Market, and we're going to figure out how to do it. And we are not going to be the place that has, you know, a, a caterpillar roll or a Godzilla roll. We are not the place with aioli all over the fish. We are going to do a true um, purist sushi place. Um, just a quick brush on the nigiri. Um, we're going to do a Japanese izakaya downstairs. Um, here are the chefs that are going to run that program. Here's what we want it to look like. You know, the back bar is going to be this replica of the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Um, you know, all these little things that are inside the space. And we were like, I think we got it. I think we got what the feel of this place is going to be. And then you run with it. And then you hope that vision resonates with people. Right. I mean, it's a little scary sometimes, but. Yeah, but what you're describing to me and what what's coming up for me is that you're actually creating a story. Mm -hmm. You're you're creating a through line, a story. And again, this idea of story is a way that we connect with other people. Human beings connect through story, whether it's an oral tradition or something that we read or something that we watch, you know, in cinema or in the theater, right? It's a way that we connect. And so creating a story in this gathering space is what you're hoping people will connect to. People want to care about the place that they're in. If you ask people what the best crawfish etouffee that they've ever had before is, chances are they're going to tell you it was in New Orleans. And it's not really so much about the food. It's about a time and a place. It might not even be the best that they've ever had, but it's framed by certain things. It's framed by a certain place and certain sounds and sights and sense memory. And that, you've, that city has created an experience for you. So we try to do that within our own restaurants. I mean, I, for me personally, I, get, I don't know why I get, I get emotional when I talk about this restaurant. Boca has been open for 20 years. I've seen my entire family grow up inside that restaurant. My wife, Courtney, was pregnant with Sophia. When that restaurant opened, you know, we turned 20 years old next year. I've seen my entire family grow up inside that restaurant. So when I walk in that door, it's more than just a place that serves me food and wine. That, that, those walls 
um, have seen me at so many different levels and layers of my life. So there are restaurants that mean so much to people because they've lived and had the greatest moments of their life inside of it. They've met people that they loved before. Um, they've had, they had their wedding there. They had their rehearsal dinner there. It was the last meal that they had with grandma. So food is very important. Hospitality is very important. But the experiences we have within spaces create energy within those spaces that do not go away. So we can create the space and start it. And then people are gracious enough to have some of the best experiences of their life inside of it. And, and those moments help give the place age. You know, it's like, it's like aging things in oak. We're, all restaurants are aged in experience. And I believe that that type of energy is soaked up into the walls and people can feel it. It's palpable. Yeah. And that's what you want to create when you're gathering anywhere, whether it's a restaurant or your home or at a coffee shop with some friends, yes. right? Is, is really that connection, that experience, the energy that you're bringing to it. And I think, I feel like you just hit the nail on the head. Like that is what makes it so healing for people, right? That connection that you have. And it's, it's more than just meeting people, right? It's, it's this deep connection in gathering. I, that's why I like the word gathering so much, because there's an energy to this word gather. It's so much more than just showing up for dinner <laughs> or going out to dinner or going to a coffee shop. It's about gathering, about connecting, about having some intention behind the energy of the questions you're asking, the, the way you're listening the experience you're creating in that space, whatever it is, there's something much deeper there, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. This feels like a good place to just sort of wrap up our time together. And so if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? I've been on a journey the last six months of my life to really change some things about it. And I needed to. My life was overloaded with too much work and not enough connection. And what I found is a lot of healing within my own spaces um, with curated groups of people. And one of the things I did was get an office of my own. I decorated it. I made it feel like I wanted it to feel. And instead of going places to have meetings, I had those people come to me within my, within my own new space. And I found a tremendous amount of healing in being in this new space with the exact people I wanted to be with at the exact times I wanted to be with them. Beautiful. Kevin, thank you so much for doing this with me. I so appreciate your vulnerability, your honesty, and also just your expertise and sort of just sharing the things that you know about what makes people tick when they gather and they connect and just giving us some tips around that. So thank you so much. For doing well, that. thank you for having an outlet to talk about this. I talk a lot about the restaurant business, but to have a dedicated 45 minutes to talk about how important it is to gather, I think is, is a really important thing for humanity right now. Yeah. Um, we need to gather more. We need to think more about the way that we gather. Um, and that's one of the ways we're going to spread love more in this world right now when we need it. 
Absolutely agree with you completely. Thank you for doing this with me, Kevin. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.